0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: I couldn't help but think of a passage in scripture that says this, we love him because he first loved us. Now, most Christians know that. What a rich verse that is. But let's think about that for a moment. Some of us really have a hard time loving him because we really forget how much he first loved us. Now, for some Christians, they focus on Christ on the cross and they think about, yes, he really loved us. He loved us so much and he stretched out his arms. He loved us this much. Or for God so much loved the world. Or for God so this way loved the world that he gave his son. That's totally accurate. But sometimes we just kind of end it there because we're saved and we go on with life. But what was really going on and how much he loved us goes certainly at the cross, but way beyond that. And you know, we live in a world today, no matter how you're brought up or what you've experienced, it's quite likely that your love tank is not as full. And God knows that. And he says, I'll fill that tank. With an unconditional love that will know no end, no matter who you are or how you are. I love you that much. Oh, how He loves you and me. And when we fully grasp from a biblical point of view how much He really loves us first, then we will respond with loving Him back. And you know, today's message kind of fits into that for this reason. In a few moments, because of God's love for us, He's going to show us how that we can beat temptation. It's not just so that we beat temptation. It's really beating temptation means that we don't encounter the horrific consequences of losing the battle with temptation. And God loves us so much and he says, I know you have beating it in your heart, a heart that happens to be wicked and deceitful that'll trick you. In a world that's working against you and that world and you will beat yourself down. And he says, I love you so much that I'm going to give you the truths and the power and the reason to beat temptation so you can experience the wonderful blessings of it. That's just one of the myriad of ways God loves you and me. And I hope that maybe by today's message, one more step will be closer to, we love you because you first loved us. Well, today I'm going to talk about from Scripture, beating the battle of temptation. And I've given you a large passage of Scripture there. And I'd like for you to just take a moment with me and as a faith family, if you wouldn't mind reading, if you would just read the portion of the passage of Scripture out loud together so we can hear each other read it. Would you read that with me out loud? Let's do it. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. As I read through that passage of Scripture and the following verses there... This is loaded. It just drips with the honey of principles from God to show how much he loves us. So spending time in the word over the last month on this passage alone, I asked the Lord to really speak to me. What would be maybe five key principles that we might be able to take with us on how we can beat temptation? And I believe that they're here today and that all of us can gain something from it. Did you know that probably temptation is man's greatest problem that we've had the longest now think about it it goes all the way back to adam and eve when they were faced with issues and they were tempted and then they gave in to that temptation so temptation has been around a long time and frankly satan is real good at it he was good at it in the garden and he's good at it today in the sanctuary and frankly he's going to be good at it until he's finally put down by god almighty but god says Satan doesn't have to win the battle. You can win the battle in Christ, and I'm going to show you how to beat that battle. Oscar Wilde said this. He said, I can withstand anything except temptation. It's kind of interesting, but it's true. Often, a lot of us in here today, that we also had that problem with temptation. If you could go back over this last week and to think about how many times in your heart of hearts you knew what you should do, but something got in your way and you didn't do what you should do because Satan tempted you, and it could be over anything... But those things are the things that sometimes bring on consequences where we have to have a do-over and clean things up. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we talked a lot about trials. Did you know that in the word trials there, you're going to find some things that are very important, like the word testing and trial and temptation. In fact, testing and temptation come from the same Greek word, and yet there's a difference. And so I'd like to give you generally the two greatest differences between them. First of all, trials are situations that are designed by God to grow us. So God puts things in front of us that will be there so that we are now tested. And if we pass that test, that particular trial that we have, then we're going to grow. On the other hand, temptations are designed by Satan in order to cause us to sin. Satan wants us to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to disglorify God in some measure to take glory from God and to wreck us in doing it. For those that are Christians, some of you, he might close your mouth from sharing the gospel with others. If he hasn't closed our mouth from sharing that wonderful message of salvation, he's going to muddy up our message so that when we do share this message, people really don't know what they have to do to go to heaven. And if he can't do that with some people, he'll just flat out wreck our life so that no matter what happens, the world looks at us and says, we don't want anything to do with that, Christian. They're no different than we are. And so Satan will do that in any way he can to tempt us. And that's why I wanted you to look at that verse. But there's also something else very interesting in that one bold verse I've given to you. Notice how at the early part it says, Blessed is the man that endured temptation. And then it talks about a special promise to those who love him. And here's the link. Isn't it interesting that one of the ways that we can allow our our love to be shown toward the Lord is how well we respond to temptations. So those of us that might sing, Oh, how much we love the Lord now, We demonstrate that love to Him by how we resist the temptation that comes our way. So if we truly love the Lord, we're going to learn how to win the battle, beat the battle of temptation, because that's all part of it. Now those of us who choose to biblically see what temptation is like and then respond to it biblically, God comes along and He says, guess what? I've got two wonderful promises for you. The first promise is this, you're going to be blessed Now, you can define blessing many different ways, but probably the safest way to define blessing in Scripture would be that God promises you a sense of joy and happiness. And I'd like to expand that, because it's not just the giggles after you go to a comedy or something. It's the joy that you have of a life that's filled without having to suffer consequences from yieldedness to temptation. A life that you could really sense in your heart. You have integrity, joy, and peace that degree of happiness that things are well with my soul here because I've seen temptation and I'm not living the results of the consequences of it by making the wrong choice. So some of you write today. You've been tempted, but you've had the good measure not to answer the door when temptation was knocking. But there's also a second promise. He says this. There's also a crown of life. Now, some people talk about that that means a quality of life that you have. So it's not just happiness in this life, it's a real rich life. Not financially necessarily, but as you look at your life, you don't have all the scars of memories, of things that you have now that you can't change because of wrong choices you've made when you've given into temptation. So you have a quality of life. I think you could say that. There are great Bible scholars that will take it a step further that says, it says a crown of life. And that there is even waiting for you a special reward for those of you who were tempted, and we all are, but who've chosen to beat the battle of temptation. Say no to that, as tough as that might have been at the time. And God says, since you said no to temptation, then you have not sinned. Therefore, there's waiting for you a very special crown of life in heaven to signify that you've learned how to beat the battle of temptation. So I hope that today that this message might scratch you where you itch because I think we all itch from time to time in the area of temptation. So how do we do that? Well, James speaks to a group of people that he was preparing to be light for the Lord in a world that was very dark. A world that would try to beat them down, to try to make them more like themselves and to take away their joy. And so he says to them, here's how you beat the battle of temptation. And there are five principles here. So let's go through those quickly. And then you take them home and own it for your own. All right, number one, we need to be realistic. Notice the phrase that says, when you're tempted. You see that in verse 13? It doesn't say if you're tempted. It says when you're tempted. That means every single one of us are going to be tempted from time to time. Have you ever met anybody who is pious, piffle type, you know, the fake spirituality that says, I've never been tempted? Tempted in 42 years of life. I have never suffered a temptation. I like to say it's a little bit like the bringing together of the abalone and a crocodile. It's a crocabalone there. Because I don't think that a lot of people... (laughs) I know, I know. I don't think a lot of people are really being honest when they say they've never been tempted. It takes a humble person to say, I've been tempted. Now, sometimes we then think that, well, if I'm tempted, I've sinned. Temptation in itself is not really the ultimate problem. We're all going to be tempted, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But right now, I want you to know that we have to be real. Temptation is dangling all around us. Now, whether it's some of you that say, I want to take care of my body. I know it belongs to the Lord. He owns it. He paid for it. He lives inside of me, and I want to make sure my body is right. And so out in front of you is parading all sorts of food that would not be healthy for you. And so you're now tempted to not have a healthy lifestyle. And so you have that. And of course, that might wreck your body, might even wreck your health, might even wreck your testimony. may even wreck your stamina to go on for God. But then you have the temptation to do things that could incarcerate you or even bring you to death, a disease or something like that. We're all faced with that. And Satan knows that if he can parade it in front of us, knowing that we have a heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, that we could easily give in to that. And there again, we wrecked our intimacy with the Lord. He does not get the glory. And of course, the testimony for Christ suffers tremendously. Now, we need to remember, though, that every one of us, look around in this room, every one of you can be tempted, including your pastor. It's all out there. And remember, sometimes the greater position of influence that you might have, and maybe you're just a stay-at-home mom, a tremendous influence you are with your kids. Satan knows I can bring down others if I bring you down. So at all points, we're going to be tempted. But like Jesus, I hope that we don't sin. He didn't sin, even though he was tempted, which now tells me if he's tempted and he didn't sin, the temptation in of itself is not the sin. It's the giving into that that makes it such a sin. So I hope that is something that will stay with us. And that is, to be realistic, we can easily be tempted. Read my lips. We can easily be tempted. And often, when we're at our spiritual, um, spiritual worst, or when we're at our, our, our physical or emotional weakness, that's when Satan brings in the temptation even more strongly. Let's look at the second now. All right, so we have to be real when I'm tempted, so therefore I will be tempted. Second is I need to be responsible. Look at the verse, it says, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot tempt or be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. You know what that tells me? I need to accept responsibility. When temptation comes my way, I cannot blame other people for it, and especially according to this verse, I ought not to blame God. Will Rogers said this, he said, you could summarize American history into two great movements. One is the passing of the buffalo and the other is the passing of the buck. And I think as he said that so many decades ago that. We find here in America that it's even worse than that now, that more and more people will blame everyone and anything for the dilemma that they're in, rather than taking ownership and manning up and womaning up and guy up and gal up to the temptations that face our our life. And so we need to take responsibility for that. We need to be the one that's saying, you know what, I can't blame the church why I have problems. I can't blame my parents or my ethnic background or poverty. I can't blame my boss, my team, my team captain. I can't blame others. If I've chosen to yield to temptation. It's a choice that I have made and I cannot blame God. So we need to be responsible when it comes our way. Let's look at number three. We need to be realistic when we're tempted. And then when we are tempted, don't blame God or anyone else for that matter. We have to be at this time as responsible as we can. But finally, we need to be ready. Let me look at this verse here with you. It says, but every man is tempted when he has drawn away of his own lust and enticed Then, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. And how easy it is. You might take your pen for just a moment and circle the word, if you will, here. The word enticed, all right? The word enticed is a word that basically means deceived. I'm going to be deceived. How easily we are to be able to be deceived. I read a story recently about a man. His name happened to, uh, to be Bobby Leach. Bobby Leach went over Niagara Falls in a huge barrel. He made it over Niagara Falls, crashed into the water below, and he wasn't harmed one bit, only to find that two weeks later, this is a true story, he slipped on an orange peel and he broke his leg. So, you know, at times when you're faced with the greatest temptation in your world, and you might then hold up your head high and say, I've gone to the Lord, I've gone for him for strength, I've resisted that temptation. In fact, I've said no and I've fled from it. And so you can pat yourself on the back. But remember, there's a verse for us that says this. Take heed, you that stand, lest ye fall. And so we might not succumb to that great temptation, but it could be something very subtle because Satan is not going to quit just because we resisted the first temptation. He's going to say, okay, I'm going to come back at it again and again and again and again and again. And we have to be ready for it. Now, some of you might need to understand a little bit how easy it is for us to be deceived into that temptation. Do you know that there is a four-step spiral downward in this passage? And if you look at this, you're going to see a little bit more of why we step into this temptation and we become destroyed. Let's look at this four-step downward spiral of temptation. First of all, we begin with what is a desire. It says, each one is tempted by his own evil desire, as Scripture says. So it's by a desire. Now, let me quickly say this. Having desires in of itself is not wrong. Lust is not wrong. That which we lust after can be wrong. For example, what is not wrong? God gives us the desire to drink, so we drink. God gives us the desire to eat, so we eat. God gives us the desire to work hard and have a little ambition to do the best we can, set some goals. That's not wrong for that. God does give you the desire for sexual intimacy, That is all part of God's wiring system so that we would move ahead. Now watch carefully now. He places that desire within us and then now you have two things generally going on. God says, I put those desires in you and then I'm going to show you that which you should properly desire and then how to reach that goal. So in so doing, the end product will be you will be blessed, you'll have a crown of life and you'll have intimacy with me because you've done it my way. Satan comes along and he says, okay, I'm going to work off God's same strategy. I too am going to provide something to you through a desire. The only difference is I hate you. I want to destroy you. And I want to make sure that God has no glory and there's no intimacy between you and God. And so now he takes that very same drive within us, that same desire, but he now parades something else in front of us. So instead of maybe drinking some liquid that would be healthy for us, he puts something in front of us that will change our thinking pattern, that will cause our attitude to change, our behavior to change. And when that happens, who knows what can happen if we're driving. And then we can move into food, we can talk about sexual issues, we can even talk about ambition that has destroyed companies and people and families because it was out of line. So you have desire that's going on. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, it's what we do with it that makes it good or bad. Number two, deception. So after we have desire going, now we get into the deceptive mode. It says he has drawn away and enticed. Now those are two words, drawn away and enticed. Both of them come out of a little bit of a sporting background from the original language. One of them was used by those who would be hunters. And so when you're drawn away, there was like a trap, some of you might remember that particular Sunday that I was here using this illustration on a similar verse. I had a mouse trap up in front. How many of you remember that? And inside that mousetrap, it was already set with some cheese on the end of this thing. And I had a pencil out here. And I was talking about how that this trap is a trap to destroy us, but also to entice and draw into this trap a particular culprit that we want to catch. And remember, Satan wants to catch us, to destroy us. Just like we would like to catch and destroy those little varmints that kind of get into our house, don't we? But you remember what he does. He puts a little bit of bait up there. Bait that would be especially enticing to the one that would come to that trap. It looks pretty good. Smells real good. I really like it. And all that it is is wooden metal. And so we go in and I brought that pencil right to the very close point of the trigger. And do you remember when I just lightly, just lightly, not tapped it, just brushed up against the trigger. Bam! It went like that. The pencil splintered and flew everywhere. That's about how quick it is. So we have this desire to eat. Nothing wrong with that. Satan puts this in front of us, this particular desire that we have. Now he puts the object there. But like a trap, he wants to destroy us, to paralyze us, to hinder us from reaching the full potential that God has for us. But there's also another word in there. It's the word entice. Now that's a fisherman's term. That's a word like to catch or to bait. And so just like that trap had that piece of cheese in there, Satan comes along and he wants to trap us. So I guess I ask you and me this same question: What bait is the Lord putting in front of us that we now won't go in the wrong direction, but we'll say, "Lord, we need your strength, we want to be like you, we want to do what's right." And then what will Satan put in front of us, knowing our hot button as well? Knowing that if we go after it, we are trapped, we're held in bondage for destruction. What bait is he going to use where we have the greatest propensity to? One writer said that if there are probably three areas of low water crossings in our life that pride fits out of, that will be these three. Take some inventory. The first one would be this, bitterness, an unforgiving heart. We keep records. We have unrealistic expectations and we're let down. We have a raw deal and now we don't get mad, we have to get even in bitterness. Maybe your low water crossing isn't bitterness. You forgive easily, you kind of give people a break, you have a lot of mercy and you have an understanding spirit. But your low water crossing is going to be greed, where for you, you don't ever have enough. You came from so little that now you want to have more and more and more, so now it becomes manipulation, intimidation, thievery, twisting, cooking the books, whatever it might be, because you're, you're bound by greed and whatever it would take to be able to get that, whatever it might be. And then there's another low water crossing that some people seem to have. And that is that they might not struggle with bitterness and they might not be greedy, but their issue is moral impurity. That they keep thinking about what it'd be like if I was with so-and-so and and how that might make me feel and I'm lonely here and God wants me to be happy there. So all of a sudden, moral impurity. So after all three of these, those are low water crossings. And Satan will bait the hook. And the question is, is is there a hook baited for us that Satan wants to hold us in bondage, to draw us into, to ultimately destroy us? So it moves from desire to deception, but that's not enough. It goes a little bit further. It now moves down into disobedience. So we have the head thing going on. I got the desire. That's not right or wrong. It's okay to have a desire. So Satan now says, okay, I'm going to take that desire and I'm going to deceive you with it to get you to a point that not only are you deceived, you're going to act upon that deception and become disobedient. And here's what it says. Then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. I was reading in another paraphrase this morning out of the message. In this little passage, the way they said it was kind of cute. It said, you know what happens? When lust takes over, it gives birth to a baby. And this particular baby now is called sin. And in a few moments it says, and this baby called sin grows up to become a murderer or a destroyer. And that's what happens. It starts with lust. It gives forth birth to sin. And once you have sin, it brings forth a form of death. There's separation from the intimacy with God, relationships with others and your own heart. And so there becomes a great problem with that. A phrase I like to use is what you flirt with, you can fall for. And so that's what we have to be very careful. It's all around us wherever we go. We say, that's just a harmless fantasy. I don't think so. I think it's a lot more sinister than that. So here's what happens. Satan gets our attention. From our attention, we develop a, hmm, I wonder what it'd be like. And it's called an attitude. And then it gives birth, if we keep feeding that, into an action. And that action is a one-way street to destruction. Well, it moves from disobedience now to death. And it says, and sin, once it grows up or once it finishes, it now brings forth death. And that's a horrible, horrible consequence. Now, some of you probably already know this, but maybe this little point will be a wake-up call to you. I can choose whether or not I will go into sin. It's pretty easy. It's all around me. I don't even have to be at the beach to have an immoral thought in my mind. You know what I'm saying. I don't have to be at the mall to be able to think of what it would be like to have this, and I'll get it no matter how I want And I don't care, I can love all of you, but all I have to do is maybe have an improper thought towards you and what you did or didn't do or didn't say or did say to me and I could have bitterness and that becomes a thought. I can choose to do that. But here's what you and I cannot choose. If we choose to yield to that temptation and not beat it, we cannot choose the consequences. God says, you can choose whether you do right or wrong, that's your free choice. I am now teaching you because how much, oh, how I love you. I'm bringing you this message because I know you are going to be faced with temptation the rest of your life, but particularly this week. He's giving you the Spirit to warn you, to teach you, to remind you. But here's one thing He's not going to give you and me the choice. And that is, what's the consequences if we choose to disgod God and go after this? And so once that comes, and now we feel the full weight of the wrong choice that we made, I don't want you to think that God is up in heaven saying, See what happens to you? No, 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 God doesn't do that. He's up in heaven and he's saying, I'm grieving. I'm hurt. Look what you've done. Look what it's going to cost you. This wonderful plan that you could have for your life. All this blessing and the crown of life is waiting for you. But you chose to disregard me. Disregard what you were taught on Sunday. And now you're suffering. And he's grieving over that. Because he knows in his sovereignty and his wisdom how much more we could have had. He's not laughing at us. He's weeping because of us. But there's that consequence.
0: This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.